This is section 119 of Mark Twain's Speaking. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Our Guest Lord Mayor's Banquet for Mark Twain, Town Hall, Liverpool, July 10, 1907. Read by John Greenman. My Lord Mayor, my Lord Bishop, and gentlemen, I want to thank you, my Lord Mayor, for the welcome you have given me tonight, and I thank these gentlemen for their hearty response in which they have received the toast. And I will thank any other name? I only know him by Tay Pei. I have another name, Langhorn, but it really doesn't belong to me. Then you have a telegram from Professor Boyce, who says he still has a watch. That comes of having a fleeting reputation. I came to this country distinguished for honesty, and then somebody took that Ascot cup, just as I arrived, which has thrown a gloom over my whole stay here, and will provide sorrow and lamentations for my friends on the other side. And now I am held responsible for the regalia which has been stolen from Dublin Castle. What will become of my reputation if I do not get out of the country very soon? People say it is a curious coincidence that the Ascot Cup and the regalia from Dublin Castle should have been stolen during my stay, and so it is. I was going to Dublin. Fortunately, for the rags of my reputation, I could not get there. And you say, what is this? It is rumor. Nobody comes out and charges me with carrying away that robbery. It is mere human testimony, and it does not amount to testimony. It is merely rumor, circumstantial evidence, mere human speech, assertion, rumor, and suspicion. But circumstantial evidence is the best evidence in the world. Once a month for five hundred years, certain officers whose function it is go down the cellars in Dublin Castle, and there they find the safe in which the precious jewels are kept, and take them out, one by one, daily, just to see that they are all right, and put them back in the safe. They have been doing this for five hundred years, and they have got so used to it that they did not shut up the safe. I should like to know whether that is a good safe and a valuable safe. That is an important feature for me, because with the reputation which I have got now, all the circumstantial evidence would point to the fact that if I took anything at all, I would not merely have carried off the regalia, but the safe along with it. All this is testimony in my favor, and yet Professor Boyce is afraid to bring along his watch, which is probably only a Waterbury, 
and an old one at that mr o'connor has furnished you information that enabled you to understand that i have been a jack of all trades that is quite true he said a word about my father he was a lawyer but my father was entitled to more words than that he was another of my kind he was not just merely a lawyer but in that little village on the banks of the mississippi when i was a boy he was mayor of the town the chief of police the postmaster the one policeman and the sheriff who had to hang all the malefactors in fact he was the entire government concentrated now you can't pass by a man like that with just a word mr o'connor spoke of my mother too well my brother and i were twins he was born ten years before i was a little discrepancy that never could be accounted for it was the intention that that brother of mine should be a lazy person i know that perfectly well but somehow or other it missed fire and i was born that way instead i have been lazy ever since and indolent while that brother the twin he was full of energy and the spirit of labor whatever he put his hand to he worked at it hard and faithfully and the result was the result was that he could never make a living anyhow i can't help being frivolous tonight because i have followed out my instructive and natural custom this afternoon by having a sleep and resting myself whenever i am rested and feeling good i can't help being frivolous it is only when i am weary and worn out and discouraged that the time comes for me to take a hold on great national questions and handle them i wanted to talk real instructive wisdom tonight but this rest has intervened and put it all out of my mind i have been two or three weeks discussing cheap penny international postage with mr henniker heaton and i have told him all i know about it and now he knows nothing about it himself i said i was born lazy but i was born wise also and the only time i ever lost a situation the only time i was ever discharged from a post was in san francisco more than forty years ago when i was a reporter on the morning call i was discharged just that once in my life and the only thing they could bring against me was that i was incompetent and incandescent and inharmonious and everything they could think of in three syllables but mainly i was lazy and inefficient that 
was the only time anybody ever found fault with me for a thing like that it was occurring all the time in fact it was monotonous and it was no use picking out a thing like that according to te pei i have been a little of everything this time i am an ambassador i like that position very well i don't mind it as it has not a salary attached to it because a salary limits your energy it does mine always i would rather be free to do my ambassadorial work after my own fashion and i intend to keep up this ambassadorial business right along whenever i find a chance of encouraging the good feeling between this old mother country and her eldest child over there i intend to put in my word and keep up the ambassadorial work the university of oxford in making me a doctor has added one more function to my numerous functions and somebody asked me a rather pointed question was it not rather a delicate thing to make you a doctor of literature are you competent to doctor your own a little well, that is all wrong i have been doctoring my own literature it is only now by the authority of oxford that i propose to doctor other people's and i hope you will see results why i have always had an interest in literature outside my own concern i have always been ready to give a helping hand to a rising young author i saved one poet in san francisco forty years ago and i don't forget it i did a good turn to that poet i was ready to doctor him or anybody else well he wasn't much of a poet a kind of poet good enough for the early days of the pacific he was not prosperous and he was named ediston we called him ediston lighthouse that was sarcasm he was not a lighthouse he was in trouble and i came to the young man's help i was a reporter but i was likely to lose the employment at any time and i knew it would be such a good thing for me if i could do something rather extraordinary to keep ahead of the other papers well the young poet got discouraged his poetry began to be a drug he could not sell it and by and by when he could not give it away his circumstances were desperate and he came to me as a friend and wise adviser and he proposed to commit suicide i told him it was a good idea it was a good idea in various ways it would relieve him from writing poetry and it would relieve the community from reading it and it would give me a chance with my newspaper i being the only other person present at the suicide i would take care of that he was a little sorry to see me so enthusiastic i could not help that 
my heart was in it we discussed methods and i told him the most picturesque was the revolver to blow his brains out with he did not like that idea very much but i reconciled him to it but we did not have any money to buy a revolver and we went round to the place with the three balls there was a revolver there just the right thing but we could not borrow that revolver without furnishing some money i told the gentleman that this was the only chance the young man had but he was that kind of man that you could not persuade at all a man who has no human sympathy although it does not cost anything then i suggested drowning to my friend that would be a neat thing it could not be as fine for me as the other but drowning was good enough when you could not get anything better so we went out to the seashore and he did not like the looks of the water and wanted me to try how it would go but no i was not in that line at all then a most curious thing one of the strangest things a thing you would never imagine at all happened from some ship that had foundered perhaps a thousand miles away there came an object of some interest at that moment there were in fact two events gradually coming together while this young man was brooding and contemplating suicide there was a life preserver floating in from that ship a life preserver for a man who was about to commit suicide it looked ridiculous at first but we took the life preserver to the pawnbroker and traded with him for the revolver and then we made all the arrangements but he didn't like to put the firearm to his forehead i said it will be over in a minute and this seemed to reassure him for he bucked up and blew his brains out people said it wasn't brains but it was there was not much of it but it was real gray matter which is supposed to constitute intelligence so far as it can well that was the making of that boy why when he got well all obstructions were gone and i have thought many times since that if poets when they get discouraged would blow their brains out they could write very much better when they got well i landed in this town of liverpool thirty years ago the first time i ever put my foot on english soil and i had an adventure as a matter of fact liverpool is connected with one or two adventures of a very pleasant sort I went to the outside edge of town and i saw the scenery the blocked up windows to escape the window tax and various other exciting things and finally i took a cab and drove around the man was a very good-natured pleasant middle-aged scotchman and he asked me 
where he should drive me to i said anywhere just around for an hour or two hours he drove me a little way and then stopped and asked me again well i wanted to think i was full of some great project and finally when this had occurred several more times in desperation i said oh take me to balmoral i did not say a word and i did not pay any attention to where he was going i wanted to think i did not know where i was i was away somewhere in the country and i hailed him and asked him where he was going and he said on the way to balmoral so he was i got him to turn round and get back to liverpool if he could to catch a train for london if possible when we got back i asked him what i had to pay and he said well it was equivalent to four hundred dollars i asked him if he was in earnest and he said he was as outside the city he could charge any reasonable price he said that balmoral was four hundred miles away and it would be four hundred dollars it seemed a sorry and embarrassing situation i proposed to go before the rulers of the city or his majesty or something of that sort to lay the case and he did i said he had made a mistake and the authorities said he had a right to charge anything reasonable it seemed a large sum he had charged and they said it was not the cabman's fault it was four hundred miles to balmoral and four shillings a mile was not unreasonable especially as he would have to come back at his own expense well the man acted very handsomely he compromised for twelve dollars though stupid tradition says that scotchmen did not profess a sense of humor i say that that man has a sense of humor what was Pei's early statement that requires refutation mr o'connor i said that you had been a financier i was but i am not now i didn't succeed in it he also mentioned another matter and he paid me the compliment to mention that at the time when i was bankrupt heavily in debt i paid every dollar this is often mentioned very pleasing to me to hear and i feel that i ought to get on my feet and tell you all about it how my business man my long-headed commercial friend said in this bankruptcy business you pay thirty cents to the dollar and you go free now a man can easily be persuaded to go outside the strict moral line but it is not so with a woman and a wife my wife said no you shall pay a hundred cents to the dollar and i will go with you all the way and she kept her word let us give credit 
where credit is due and it is more due to her than to me i don't think i will say anything about the relations of amity existing between our two countries it is not necessary it seems to me the ties between the two nations are so strong that i do not think we need trouble ourselves about them being broken anyhow i am quite sure that in my time and in yours my lord mayor those ties will hold good and please god they always will english blood is in our veins we have a common language a common religion a common system of morals and great commercial interests to hold us together home is dear to us all and i am now departing for mine on the other side of the ocean oxford has conferred upon me the loftiest honor that has ever fallen to my fortune the one i should have chosen as outranking any and all others and more precious to me than any and all others within the gift of men and states to bestow upon me and i have had in the four weeks that i have been here another lofty honor a continuous honor an honor which has known no interruption in all these twenty-six days and a most moving and pulse-stirring honor the hearty hand-grip and the cordial welcome which does not descend from the pale gray matter of the brain but comes up with the red blood out of the heart it makes me proud and it makes me humble many and many a year ago i read an anecdote in dana's book two years before the mast a frivolous little self-important captain of a coastling sloop in the dried apple and kitchen furniture trade was always hailing every vessel that came in sight just to hear himself talk and air his small grandeurs one day a majestic indiaman came ploughing by with course on course of canvas towering into the sky her decks and yards swarming with sailors with macaws and monkeys and all manner of strange and romantic creatures populating her rigging and there too her freightage of precious spices lading the breeze with gracious and mysterious odors of the orient of course the little coaster captain hopped into the shrouds and squeaked out a hail ship ahoy what ship is that and whence and whither in a deep and thunderous bass came the answer back through a speaking trumpet the begum of bengal a hundred and twenty-three days out from canton homeward bound what ship is that the little captain's vanity was all crushed out of him and most humbly he squeaked back only the mary ann fourteen hours out from boston bound for kittery point with uh, with nothing to speak of the eloquent word only 
expressed the deeps of his stricken humbleness and what is my own case during perhaps one hour in the twenty-four not more than that i stop and reflect then i am humble then i am properly meek and for that little time i am only the mary ann fourteen hours out and cargoed with vegetables and tinware but all the other twenty-three my vain self-satisfaction rides high and i am the stately indiaman ploughing the great seas under a cloud of sail and laden with a rich freightage of the kindest words that were ever spoken to a wandering alien i think my twenty-six crowded and fortunate days seem multiplied by five and i am the begum of bengal a hundred and twenty-three days out from canton homeward bound end of our guest read by john greenman